Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In the history of our country, only two American presidents have been impeached by the U.S. House, Andrew Johnson in 1868 and Bill Clinton in 1998. Now there's an official impeachment inquiry of the nation's 45th president, Donald Trump. It comes after allegations he solicited help from Ukrainian's president to find dirt about political rival former Vice President Joe Biden, while withholding millions of dollars in aid to Ukraine. Coming up, we learn more about the impeachment process from two professors of law, and we'll take your questions, too. You can join us, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. First, all of the members of Connecticut's congressional delegation support the impeachment investigation. We reached out to several of them, and joining us now by phone is U.S. Representative Rosa DeLauro, who serves Connecticut's 3rd Congressional District. Congresswoman, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's uh, good to speak with you today, Lucy. Uh, You were just on where we live a couple of weeks ago, and since then, uh, this drama has unfolded involving the U.S. and Ukraine, uh, which I uh, mentioned the details again, reports about this phone conversation between President Trump and his Ukrainian counterpart, uh, Mr. Zelensky, uh, centering on uh, Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Also, we're hearing reports about President Trump withholding foreign aid to Ukraine uh, during this time. Uh, You released a statement last Monday in which you uh, said an impeachment inquiry may be the only recourse Congress has if the president is enlisting foreign assistance in the 2020 election. And Congress must meet this pivotal moment in our nation's history with decisive action. Uh, can you tell us about uh, you know, your uh, response? Uh, because when we spoke, uh, you were uh, against impeachment. Again, this was before uh, the public and uh, Congress knew about uh, this Ukrainian phone call. Mm-hmm. Well, so, thank you. First of all, I think this is a very, very serious, uh, very serious time. And I um, we did have a conversation earlier, and, um, you know, I, I take this issue at, at, at what is at its core, and that is, you know, our, uh, uh, our democracy. And as I said to you on that um, prior interview, that I had been reluctant to call for an impeachment inquiry because I believed that it would have caused a further division in our country, um, I believed it would be perceived as overturning the 2016 election. And uh, ultimately, uh, this would go to the United States Senate, where Republicans would acquit the, the president regardless of the, um, of the evidence. But um, it, the, the president's call, to, uh, uh, to Ukrainian President Zelensky, where he, and, and uh, you know, the, if, if, if you haven't read um, the, um, the unclassified uh, document, um, it, it, it says that the president was using the power of his office 
to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. Um, that's illegal. And that, in fact, I, you know, I, my colleague, the Intelligence uh, Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, uh, said that he believed that, uh, that we'd crossed the Rubicon. And um, uh, I, I think that that interference, uh, asking for interference in our elections, um, uh, it is illegal, and we are no longer talking about the past. Um, but this is an inquiry. Uh, it's, it's an impeachment inquiry. It's an investigation into illegal actions from the White House about the 2020 elections, our next election. Um, and that, for me, um, uh, was, as, as, as I said in my, in, in my um, uh, remarks, that we needed to meet the pivotal moment in our nation's history with decisive action. And I believe that decisive action uh, at the same time, impeachment at, inquiry. At the same time, Congresswoman, uh, two of the things that you'd said that I want to bring up, uh, that you worry about this uh, further dividing the country and the fact that uh, if this, uh, if the House votes on articles of impeachment and it moves forward to the U.S. Senate, highly unlikely that uh, the president would be impeached because of the GOP majority. Uh, and so uh, you know, we're getting a tweet from Charlie uh, who writes, impeachment is a word to use when you don't like the outcome of an election and need a do-over. Again, why is why do you think that this needs to happen if uh, it's highly unlikely the president would be removed from office if those articles of impeachment are voted forward? Well, listen, and, and I would just say this to, to Charlie, this is really not about politics uh, for me. I, I, I so stated I was on your show not that long ago. I talked about my reluctance in going down this road. But when you have a violation of the law. This has nothing to do with a past election. This has to do with asking a co- and, and in fact, the, 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 the documents of coercing a foreign government and engaging in our election, uh, uh, in our election. So, you know, democracy is fragile. And but at the center of our democracy are, uh, you know, is the, the, the essence um, it is the integrity of our U.S. election. And we, we need to, to make sure that we are preserving that uh, the security of our elections. This is a national security uh, issue. Um, and that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I am sworn to, the, to, to, you know, to upholding the Constitution, um, we all are who serve in elected office, uh, no matter what the office is. So it is, it is, it is about protecting our democracy. It's protecting our institutions. It's about protecting the Constitution. That is what this is about. Um, it isn't about, you, you, you know, over, overturning an election. The president was elected in 2016. I don't question that. This is about the 2020 elections and a very specific action by the president to uh, 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 use that office to solicit uh, interference from a foreign country. 
Uh, Congresswoman, I wanted to, uh, again, Congresswoman Rosa DeLara joining us here on Where We Live. I wanted to play a couple of clips from your colleagues, also part of the Connecticut delegation, U.S. Senators Richard Blumenthal and Chris Murphy, uh, speaking to reporters on Friday. Let's start first with uh, Senator Blumenthal. The focus must be on the president for the very distinct and discreet acts in connection with his soliciting assistance from a foreign power for his personal, private, political benefit. That is a violation of law and abuse of power. There's been a lot of talk about the nature of his conversation with the Ukrainian president, his sounding like a mob boss. As I said, uh, I prosecuted mob bosses I have almost never heard a conversation like this one. In fact, most mob bosses are smarter and more subtle than the president was in this conversation because clearly he was pressuring and even extorting the president of Ukraine to benefit his political campaign by getting dirt on a foreign, on a, on a political opponent. Again, that was U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal on Friday. Uh, Also here is Senator Chris Murphy. I don't think an explicit quid pro quo matters. I I don't think the president of the United States um, can be asking any foreign leader to interfere in an American election with or without an explicit quid pro quo. So frankly, it doesn't it didn't matter. And it doesn't really matter to me whether the president or anybody else connected the two. You cannot as the president of the United States, ask another government to go destroy your political opponents. And as I've said before, if Robert Mueller had shown us evidence of a phone call between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, in which Donald Trump specifically asked Vladimir Putin to interfere in the 2020 election, that likely would have been the smoking gun um, that everybody was waiting for in the Mueller report. So the fact that the phone call happened with a different country um, doesn't really affect the gravity of the demand that was being made. I want to go back to Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro. Uh, we heard from Senator Murphy about uh, there uh, not being a smoking gun, so to speak, in, in the Mueller investigation. This phone conversation between President Trump and the Ukrainian president, do you believe that this is a smoking gun? Well, listen, I, I believe that, that what, what he said, these are his words, and admitted that his behavior, you, you know, he asked, for an investigation into his uh, potential opponent in the 2020 election. I think that that, uh, and that is illegal. I don't know what you want to call it, but it is against the law. Uh, uh, and, and what it does, is it undermines the integrity of our elections, the dignity of the office that he holds, and it is about our national security. This is what is at stake, uh, and it's not politics. We have to uphold the, the Constitution, and it is forward-looking, and not in the past. That's, you know, and uh, my colleagues and uh, Senator Murphy, uh, you, you know that there's a, a quid pro quo assisting senators, right, whether or not there was a quid pro quo. Um, that this is wrong. And we have an obligation and a responsibility. 
to oh. say it's wrong, which is why I support the impeachment inquiry. I support it within the jurisdiction of the intelligence committee uh, where it is at and focused in this direction as we move uh, forward. And my hope is that it will be um, uh, that it will be handled thoroughly uh, and expeditiously because I think both elements are essential because it's very serious. No one, uh, you know, I go back to my reluctance. This is a serious, serious issue to put a uh, of, of impeachment. It has in every instance in in, uh, in our history where this is done. You don't, you do not issues that anyone who holds elected office uh, uh, should take lightly. Congresswoman, you mentioned that this needs to be investigated thoroughly. So when you say that, what do you mean in terms of what you want to see in the coming weeks as Congress is currently in recess? Well, I, I think we're looking at coming forward with, uh, you know, the, the people who uh, may have known what was going on, the documents that can attest uh, to uh, uh, to the action, and, and folks who were involved who could shed light on what uh, on, on, on what's occurred, including uh, the, the, the whistleblower uh, who ought to be protected at all costs uh, in this uh uh, in, the, in this process, we have laws with regard to that as well. But all of the relevant information um, that uh, can document uh, what what uh, what occurred. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, earlier this month, you told me uh, with an impeachment investigation, you worry Americans will not be paying attention to the other work Congress is doing. Again, there is a, a bill to expand uh, background checks on firearms uh, that I know Senator Murphy is working with uh, the White House on. Uh, how do you see this playing out uh, with, again, uh, impeachment becoming front and center? Yeah, well, I, and I think the media has a responsibility in, with regard to this as well. Uh, I think we will move forward, as I said you know that needs to be handled thoroughly and expeditiously. Um, but in the meantime, um, I will continue. I'll speak for myself personally. Uh, we have many pieces of legislation uh, that we need to move forward on. First of all, we have uh, appropriations that are coming, uh, uh, appropriations bills that are coming forward that we have to vote on so that we keep government open. And uh, I think the media ought to focus in that direction as well. We do have the the issue of uh, background checks, uh, which the country is uh, approving of, and which the uh, uh, the, uh, the House has voted on, uh, we have equal pay for equal work. We have legislation that talks about lowering the cost of prescription drugs. These are the serious issues that are facing um, uh, the American people today, uh, who's uh, who are facing uh, you know day to day facing difficulties. Uh, because uh, their wages don't keep up with the uh, uh, with the rising costs, uh, we have a, a, a trade agreement. Uh, I a part of the working uh, group that is renegotiating the NAFTA uh, agreement. We're working at that. Uh, these are issues that we have to move forward on. It, it, you you just uh, just don't cover you know, compartmentalize and say we can only work on one on one issue. And it is my hope that the, the media will also understand uh, that they have a responsibility uh, in looking at these other areas uh, so that the American people will have some idea of other issues that are important in their lives, uh, 
uh, this is important to our national security uh, that the Congress is working on and moving on. And my hope is, is that uh, the legislation that has been passed in the House will be taken up uh, by the Senate leader, uh, Mitch McConnell. All that legislation is there, and he should just not let it languish uh, because the American people uh, depend on uh, us uh, to be initiating public policy that addresses their concerns. Rosa DeLara, again, serves Connecticut's 3rd Congressional District. Uh, Representative DeLaro, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, we're going to learn more about the impeachment process that will unfold over the next uh, few weeks. What questions do you have? You can join us, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The Constitution gives the U.S. House of Representatives the authority to impeach or remove the president and civil officers, including federal judges from office, for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. But what does that mean exactly, especially the last part, high crimes and misdemeanors? As attention centers on the next developments of the impeachment inquiry in Washington, we wanted to take time to explore what the founding fathers had in mind. So joining us now in studio is William Dunlap, professor of constitutional and national security law at the Quinnipiac University School of Law. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Also with us by phone is Frank Bowman III, professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law and author of High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump. Uh, Professor Bowman, thank you for joining us as well. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I'll start with my in-studio guest, uh, Professor Dunlap, uh, Bill. Uh, When we talk about impeachment, what exactly are we saying and what did the founding fathers mean by this? Well, impeachment is a process to protect the American political system. It's divided between the House of Representatives and the Senate in order to get as much input into the process as possible. And the stage we're at right now, the House of Representatives is doing an investigation to consider uh, whether or not the things that President Trump is accused of doing arise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. And there's simply no right or wrong answer. Well, I'm sure there are many wrong answers, but there's no specifically right answer as to exactly what the framers meant by that. Mm. Uh, when uh, we hear about uh, someone being accused of crimes and misdemeanors, we think about the court of law and uh, there being uh, convictions. So uh, in terms of uh, this process before the U.S. House of Representatives, is it just a political process or is it a, also a legal process? It's a little bit of both. And I suspect that most people in the United States are writing it off as primarily a political process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that virtually everybody pushing for impeachment is a Democrat and everybody pushing against impeachment is a Republican. But in fact, there are legal aspects to this as well. And particularly when you look at the Senate's role in this, 
where the Constitution talks about the Senate shall try mm-hmm. the impeachment and put the senators who were involved in the trial under oath. And the oath that the Senate has drafted for this uh, requires that the uh, senators uh, apply impartial justice. There's a lot in there that actually looks like a criminal trial and a legal system. Uh, Frank Bowman is with us from uh, the University of Missouri School of Law. Uh, Professor uh, Bowman, can you uh, respond to what uh, Professor Dunlap uh, is explaining in terms of impeachment? And for us to understand it, we need to go all the way back to Great Britain? We do. Um, certainly, uh, uh, everything that uh, Professor Dunlap has said is, uh, is in its essence absolutely correct. Uh, the impeachment process we inherited from Great Britain. The British Parliament invented impeachment in the 14th century, in 1376. And in many respects, the process that we have is uh, very similar to what Parliament used in the 400 years before uh, the American Constitution was adopted. Uh, the whole process of beginning uh, impeachment with the articulation of charges in the lower house, uh, the trial of those charges in the upper house, all of those we inherit from Great Britain. The other thing we inherit is the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors, because uh, that phrase uh, was used by Parliament, uh, not always, but fairly regularly, beginning in 1386 on to describe the things that Parliament decided were impeachable. And when the framers adopted that phrase, uh, they specifically had what Parliament was doing in mind. Indeed, when George Mason uh, suggested high crimes and misdemeanors as an addition to treason and bribery, he specifically alluded to an um, British impeachment that was ongoing in the summer of 1787 as they were deliberating in Philadelphia, the impeachment of a fellow named uh, Hastings, uh, who was the uh, governor general of Bengal. The point of all of that is that um, we can, in fact, get a pretty good idea of at least the categories of things that the framers thought should be impeachable. Uh, I think Professor Dunlop is absolutely right that um, there uh, are no specific rules about that point. Uh, But that's partly because both Parliament and the American framers intended impeachment to be uh, a flexible process. We can say, however, that one of the things that both Parliament and the American framers, and for that matter, uh, later American congressional users of the impeachment power did include as impeachable, uh, were abuses of power. And that is the essence of the possible claim or charge against President Trump arising from his interactions with Ukraine. Uh, Professor Dunlap, who's in studio with us from uh, Quinnipiac uh, University, uh, as we were hearing from Professor Bowman, uh, easy uh, for us to understand what treason and bribery uh, are, but again, uh, more open-ended what high crimes and misdemeanors uh, means. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk recently coming mostly from the the pro-president side saying that the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors requires that whatever the president is accused of be a crime. But I, I think it's fairly clear that that's not the case. 
and uh, a number in uh, a, a number of impeachment articles have been uh, voted on over the years that uh, involve things that are absolutely not crimes. Although when when John Tyler uh, was investigated for impeachment back in 1842, uh, that was virtually an entirely political process. Uh, They objected to his uh, vetoing of the little tariff bill, said that was an abuse of his power, and this is clearly nothing to do with an actual crime. Of course, the House decided not to impeach him on that, so it's not clear that that creates any precedent of any kind. You can join our conversation as we learn more about uh, impeachment uh, with my guest, uh, William Dunlap, Professor of Constitutional and National Security Law at the Quinnipiac University School of Law, and with us by phone, uh, Frank Bowman III, Professor of Law at the University of Missouri School of Law and author of High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump, uh, the number 888-720-9677. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Professor Bowman, so walk us through the process that we are now uh, watching unfold in Washington. Again, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi announcing last Tuesday uh, launching this official impeachment inquiry. Um, We uh, saw testimony, uh, the American public on Thursday um, of uh, John McGuire. And so when we think about this investigation, are there restrictions on how long this probe will last? No. Indeed, there are very few restrictions on how it would be conducted. The Constitution says very little about how the House of Representatives is to go about impeachment. In fact, really all it says is that the power of impeachment is uh, rests solely with the House of Representatives. Elsewhere in the Constitution, uh, it's, it says that uh, the House of Representatives has the power to set its own rules. And together, those things really mean that the House can... Uh, can exercise this constitutionally granted authority in whatever way uh, seems best to it. So it is a little bit misleading, I think, to consider that uh, something magical happened when Speaker Pelosi said that, well, now uh, we're going to have an an official impeachment inquiry investigation, whatever the word of the day is, because the power to consider whether a president is impeachable always rests in the House. And at least in modern times, uh, that the, the particular locus of that power has, or at least the investigative part, has tended to rest in the, um, the Judiciary Committee. But that's not necessary. And what we see here is a little bit unusual in that it looks like the laboring ore on the Ukrainian allegations is going to be taken by the Intelligence Committees. So... What I expect to see is that the Intelligence Committee under uh, Congressman Schiff will proceed with its investigation, uh, and assuming that they conclude something ought to be done by way of impeachment, it appears they're going to then sort of lateral the ball over to the Judiciary Committee uh, to articulate uh, uh, particular articles of impeachment, which, if they're voted out of the House, Judiciary Committee would go to the full House Uh, for its consideration. You can join our conversation if you have a question about the impeachment process, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Nancy's calling from Southampton. Nancy, you're on the show. What's your question? Hi. um, My question leaps ahead just a little bit um, regarding, you know, on the assumption that uh, the House does impeach 
uh, President Trump, and it goes over to the Senate. Uh, Mr. McConnell has more or less indicated he probably won't do anything with it or bring it to trial. Is there any way to hold him accountable as far as obstructing justice or force his hand to take it to trial? Uh, thank you, Nancy, for your call. Uh, Professor uh, Dunlap, who's in studio with me, uh, she mentioned leaping ahead. So again, if the full House were to vote on articles of impeachment, it goes to the U.S. Senate. Uh, tell us about what uh, Mitch McConnell's role would be in this. Uh, again, this uh, reports that you know he may not even, there might be a way to prevent a trial, so to speak. I've heard discussions going in all different directions uh, regarding this. The The general view seems to be that the Senate does have an obligation to try it. But if it declined to try it, I have no idea uh, what anybody would be able to do about it. The United States Supreme Court has already held in, in a case called Nixon against the United States. And it's not that Nixon, by the way, it's a federal judge. Uh, who was impeached and removed for corruption. But it's already held that the definition of a trial is left to the Senate uh, by the Constitution and that the courts simply would not get involved in this. So I think this is going to be a purely political matter. Uh, what the uh, Senate majority leader does with it, I think is just going to remain to be seen. Uh, Professor Bowman, would you like to add to that? Well, I, 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 I entirely agree. I'd add this, that uh, the Senate rules uh, certainly seem to direct that once an impeachment matter is referred to the Senate by the House, that the Senate is supposed to conduct some kind of proceeding. Uh, now, of course, as we know, the Senate rules can be amended, and sometimes they can be amended rather rapidly. Uh, and under ad hoc procedures, if that suits the majority leader. But uh, I suspect that both the plain implication of the Constitution plus the Senate rules uh, will move Leader McConnell to hold some kind of proceeding. But that could range anything from essentially an immediate vote on whatever the House were to send over to uh, a procedure that's been used in the past where a committee of senators is appointed to hear the evidence and report out to the full Senate, to a protracted uh, presentation of evidence to the, to the full Senate followed by a vote. One interesting wild card in all of this is that the Constitution says a trial in the Senate uh, is to be presided over when the president is the defendant by the Chief Justice of the United States. Nobody really knows what that means. In the past, the Chief Justice has tended to be sort of a more of a ceremonial figure, since even questions of evidence and whatnot actually are ruled on by the senators themselves. But it's been suggested that Chief Justice could, uh, as a presiding officer, call a proceeding into existence. I would be very surprised if Chief Justice Roberts would do something so unprecedented. But it's kind of an interesting thought. Mm. Professor Dunlap, what do you think about that? I never thought about it uh, from from that angle, but that really is an interesting idea. Uh, and I, I would agree that I think it's highly unlikely that the Chief Justice uh, would do something like that. 
You can join our conversation as we learn more about impeachment at 888-720-9677. Again, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Uh, we know that the White House released this memo of President Trump's call with uh, the Ukrainian president. Uh, we heard from uh, our uh, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro and some clips from our U.S. senators, including uh, Chris Murphy, uh, who they say that this uh, rough transcript and uh, combined with the whistleblower complaint. Uh, this is a smoking gun. Uh, what's your take on that, Professor Bowman? Well, I've written that I think that what we know, uh, particularly because it includes the words of the president himself, I know it's in a rough, rough transcript, but he doesn't deny the content of what's there. Uh, When you add uh, that transcript to the other items that have been reported, both in the whistleblower's report and elsewhere, I think we have a prima facie uh, case for impeachment of the president for abuse of power. And the the particular point there is that um, when we talk about abuse of power, there are a couple things to remember. First, uh, abuse of power um, can't be... A claim of abuse of power can't be defeated by saying, well, um, this power that the president is using is given to him by the Constitution. Well, of course, that's, but the nature of abuse of power is that the official uses power given him legitimately for illegitimate purposes. Um, and the second point is that in this case, um, the president has used a number of his constitutionally granted powers for a plainly illegitimate purpose. Um, he's used his, his power, at least potentially, his power uh, to supervise uh, domestic law enforcement um, because it appears in the call that he may have contacted the Justice Department to get it to assist in his effort to get dirt on the Bidens. Um, he has used his uh, his power over the military uh, and military affairs because the effort to get Ukraine to produce this information involved uh, our military relationships with them, our military relationships with NATO, uh, the fact that we stand as a military power sort of behind Ukraine in its ongoing uh, confrontation with Russia. And he misused his power as the chief diplomat of the United States, uh, which is constitutionally granted, but which may not be misused. And the key point in all of this is that what happened here was Uh, The president used all those powers as leverage against a country which sits on the border of an expansionist Russia. Uh, Russia has already taken a piece of Ukrainian territory in the Crimea. Uh, It is in active, supporting active, uh, you know, violent activity uh, against Ukraine. Uh, And Ukraine stands at considerable risk of being gobbled up either territorially or otherwise um, by an expansionist Russia. And incredibly, a president of the United States used all of his powers uh, to say to this vulnerable country, either you use your law enforcement to get me dirt on a potential political opponent, or I will withdraw the hand of the United States, uh, and you may fall into the power of, of, of Russia. Uh, that's a pretty shocking notion. And I think it's plainly constitutional abuse of power. Professor Dunlap. Uh, I agree completely that if if these facts can be proven and if it can be established exactly what President Trump had in mind when he 
made those statements that that would constitute an impeachable abuse of power. In addition to that, uh, I think there are some actual uh, criminal conduct involved there as well, which would get beyond some of the uh, arguments that are being made, well, he didn't really break the law. Uh, I think that there's a lot of evidence there that he actually did break the law, which would make the uh, impeachable offenses argument even clearer. Uh, the evidence being uh, asking again about uh, f- helping to investigate his political opponent and then uh, bringing in uh, the AG uh, into this as well as his personal attorney? Uh, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, the law expressly uh, prohibits bringing other countries into our election system. And um, I, I just think there is a well, there is at least strong evidence of uh, clear criminal activity. I want to take a call, and you can join us too, especially if you have a, a question as this impeachment investigation uh, continues in Washington. The number eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. 9677 David's calling from Middletown. David, you're on the show. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm well. What's your question? Uh, in the Senate, uh, who prosecutes the case for impeachment in front of the senators? Uh, thank you, David. Uh, Professor Bowman. Uh, the clear answer is uh, members of the House. Uh, and this is, this is something actually we inherited from uh, our, our British cousins. Uh, since impeachment was invented, the members of the lower house, a selected number of members from the lower house, go over to the upper house and they are called the house managers and they become the prosecutors. Curious. Here's a here's a curious little bit of historical trivia that the, the your listeners may enjoy. Uh, among the House managers in the Clinton impeachment um, was now Senator Lindsey Graham. That is interesting. <laughs> Uh, we're here on Where We Live with uh, Frank Bowman III, professor of law at the University of Missouri uh, School of Law, author of High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump. In studio with me, William Dunlap, professor of constitutional and national security law at the Quinnipiac University School of Law. As we uh, talk more about the impeachment process, if you have a question, you can join us too, 888-720-9677, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, coming up on uh, tomorrow's show, at least 18 patients in Connecticut have been hospitalized due to lung injuries associated with vaping. That's according to the Connecticut Department of Public Health. On the next Where We Live, we're going to take a look at vaping, also talk about the popularity among young people, and are you worried about your child vaping? You can join our conversation. Uh, that's tomorrow. Now, with 13 months to go before the 2020 presidential election, there are Americans who question the wisdom of an impeachment inquiry by the U.S. House. Are you one of them? You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest today, as we learn more about the impeachment process, in studio with me, William Dunlap, professor of constitutional and national security law at the Quinnipiac University School of Law. Also, Frank Bowman III, by phone, professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law, author of High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump. Uh, I'm curious, uh, if I wanted to go to you, uh, Professor Bowman, to talk about this issue of hyper-partisanship and how it impacts impacts uh, this process uh, when we look at impeachment proceedings in the past and now uh, with this investigation uh, before us? From the very outset, 
when the framers inserted impeachment into the Constitution, they understood that a process like this was certainly open uh, to a tremendous amount of partisan division. In fact, Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 65 talks about uh, how in an impeachment uh, trial, there is a risk that uh, partisan passions and, uh, and affinities will overcome the senator's uh, obligation to find the truth. Uh, that, I think, is, is always a problem. Um, what I think is notable about the current situation, however, compared to the past, is that I think, by and large, at least in um, a, a couple of recent and significant impeachment controversies, most notably that of President Nixon, what's really striking is the degree to which uh, the political parties and the members of Congress were able to overcome their their natural uh, partisan interests, particularly with respect to President Nixon. Um, you know, certainly Republican members of the House and senators were not pleased about the possibility that their president or the president of their party could be impeached. Uh, but uh, they, by and large, cooperated with uh, and participated in the investigative process uh, that uh, came up with the facts that led to articles of impeachment. They didn't uh, weren't always enthusiastic about it, but they participated, and they certainly didn't set out to scupper the whole business um, simply because a Republican was being con- being being examined. Um, moreover, in in those times in the seventies, the media environment was not as uh, polarized as it now is. And the result was that the articles of impeachment that were voted out of the House Judiciary Committee received the support of a significant number of Republicans. And indeed, it was the fact that Republicans went to to President Nixon and told him that he needed to go uh, that led to his his resignation. What's concerning at at the moment is that I'm not sure that we live in that environment anymore. It certainly, the proceedings in the House that have we've had up to this point suggest that that degree of sobriety uh, and attention to duty uh, is somewhat in a short supply. Uh, And one hopes that, and I think there are some signs that the more sober Republicans, the more moderate Republicans uh, are at least willing to participate in the investigation with a bit of an open mind. Uh, I, I understand you also have a blog, impeachableoffenses.net. I thought the post about this hypothetical uh, from, I don't know if this is one of your students, uh, Georgetown, uh, Max Lesser, uh, offered an interesting uh, perspective. Could you summarize that for us, Professor Bowman? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I don't remember the details of the time I had oh, Max will kill me. Oh, it, um, was, uh, yeah. it, was, it had to do with um, if you flipped it around and we're talking about uh, uh, former President uh, Obama and a call with uh, a foreign leader. Um, again, just uh, walking through some of what's happened with uh, President Trump and uh, Mr. Zelensky of Ukraine. But if you change the parties, uh, you know, again, how people would view uh, this. Right, exactly. I mean, and that is a useful way of looking at it. And, and it's useful to all of us. I mean, regardless of what our, what our political affiliation is, whether we're Democrats or Republicans, whether we like Mr. Trump or what we don't, 
we all need to consider carefully before we speak and before we write. What if uh, the person we were talking about was a person of, of my party? Would I make the same argument? Would I be um, quite as, uh, as passionate about the arguments that I'm making? If we can all dial the temperature down a little bit and think as rationally as we can in a, in a sort of an irrational age, um, we'll all be better off. Uh, Professor Dunlap, who's in studio with me, uh, is it possible to, to dial back the temperature in this uh, time that we're in? I think it's going to be extremely difficult. Uh, I agree with Professor Bowman. It would be a good idea if that happened. And if information comes out during the course of these investigations that the president actually was involved in criminal or at least uh, really, really improper uh, behavior. Uh, it may be, as Professor Bowman suggested, that a number of Republicans will shift over. I would be surprised if it turned out to be enough Republicans in the Senate to provide a two-thirds majority for removing him from office. But we just don't know yet what's going to come out of these investigations. I think that's interesting you bring that up. Uh, we got a tweet from a listener who says, stop saying the Senate will not convict because of uh, the math, uh, needing the 60 votes. Uh, that lets Republican senators off the hook with a shrug. They need to examine the facts of the gross abuse of power by the president and whether or not they find that acceptable. Yeah, I think this investigation is a much more serious process than a, a lot of people seem to be giving it credit for. Uh, it's not just a technicality in order to move us towards impeachment and possible conviction. Um, it is a fact-gathering process, and we really don't know where that's going to lead. Uh, Professor Bowman, who's with us, I understand you have a class soon. I did want to ask you one more question before we, we let you go. And again, is to go back to the process. Again, if the House uh, moves forward, article, full House moves forward articles of impeachment to the Senate, uh, what happens if the Senate were to uh, vote to acquit Trump? Well, that, nothing much. <laughs> he remains in office. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we go on to the election. And then if there is a conviction, uh, there is a uh, mechanism in place that the vice president would become uh, the president of the United States? Yes. 25th Amendment would uh, place the vice president in the, in the, in the president's chair. Uh, because uh, you are a professor of law, I'm curious, uh, as this is uh, working its way again through uh, the Capitol, you know, what are the questions uh, that your, uh, your students are asking? Um, I think they're asking all the same questions that you've asked me, that your listeners have asked. Uh, well, the thing about impeachment is that it is one of those constitutional mechanisms that comes up only rarely. And uh, when it comes up, every generation that gets embroiled in an impeachment process has to re-educate itself. Uh, and that's what we're all collectively doing. We did it in Nixon. We did it in Clinton. We're re-educating ourselves now. And the last point I'll raise is to re-emphasize uh, something that Professor Dunlop said, and, and that is people should remember that the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors does not mean what you think it means. It has little or nothing to do necessarily with the commission of a statutory crime. Rather, the framers had in mind that uh, the Congress would be able to make a judgment about the essential fitness 
uh, of a president for a president for office, make a judgment about whether or not his conduct uh, really represents uh, a threat to the constitutional order, to the norms of constitutional order uh, upon which our our continued democracy depends. It is, in that sense, a fundamentally political process, but political in the largest and and best sense. And I hope that all of us uh, can try to, to, to raise ourselves to think of it in that way. Frank Bowman again. Uh, Frank Bowman III, professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law, author of High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump. Uh, thank you for your time today. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Uh, my in-studio guest is Professor William Dunlap, again, Professor of Constitutional and National Security Law at the Quinnipiac University School of Law. Um, it's uh, been uh, interesting to hear again uh, about the process. Uh, any chance uh, if uh, uh, the president uh, is acquitted, if it moves forward, that could he be impeached again between now and the election? Well, I would think that any issues that came up during this impeachment process ought to be off the table at that point. But there's nothing in the Constitution uh, that says that's the case. If he were to do something else uh, that constituted a a brand new potential charge, uh, there's certainly nothing in the Constitution that would prevent the House from starting this all over again, although the calendar might interfere with that process. Uh, If there is something uh, that uh, is called to mind uh, that the uh, Congress uh, wants to have some accountability uh, towards the, the president or holding him accountable, other options besides impeachment? Well, there are so many things that the Congress could do. Uh, Even short of impeachment, a a vote of censure uh, would at least make clear to the American public that the Congress does not approve of what's happening here. The House could do that on its own. Uh, The House and the Senate could have a joint resolution, uh, and that would require only a simple majority in the Senate. So it's possible something like that could happen. The Congress also has extraordinary control over the administrative branch. The Constitution gives Congress uh, the power to regulate virtually the entire government. There are some separation of powers issues that leave the president free of uh, congressional regulation, but for the most part, it's up to Congress. So they could cut funds for projects where they think the president uh, is misusing it. Uh, They can enact regulations uh, in order to keep the president in line. But so far, they don't seem to be going off in that particular direction. I want to thank Professor Bill Dunlap from Quinnipiac University School of Law. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much. Uh, This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Learn more about the show. Just download Where We Live on your favorite podcast app.